Good evening, morning, afternoon, or something else, listeners. This is the next episode of Blind Drunk. Yes, there is more than one. There will probably be more than two. We're planning for more than 50. Some things take longer. Today, with me, as usual, we have Mr. Tim Whiffen. Thank you very much, David, for having me. <laughs> He's giggling already. Know, this is yeah, going well. Yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I've never been introduced before. It's oh, we'll have to do it more regularly then. <laughs> and beside Mr. Tim Whiffen, we have Mr. Bradley Wall, our international man of climbing things. Good evening. I'm here to climb this podcast tonight. Oh, there's big tall cans of beer, so this could get exciting and wrong. Very tall indeed. And beside me, we have Mr. Peter Thompson, our alternate international man of art who knows how to use gold leaf. Oh, thank you. You're, you're very kind. <laughs> Where can they reach you, Peter? Oh, uh, you can find me on Instagram at uh, P-A-C-T artwork, P-A-C-T dot artwork. Is that an abbreviation for something? Yes, yes, my, uh, my name. I'm Peter Allen Campbell Thompson. Oh, nice. Mm. I think you should have your full name for Instagram because <laughs> it sounds awesome. You sound like a very deadly serious 18th century mm. nature painter. Oh. You should have gone on a ship to somewhere <laughs> shitty. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> and I don't mean that because I want to get rid of you, but you could have painted really awesome things when you went to the place where things were shitty. Oh, there's still time. That's true. Uh, P&O, ring us up. Oh, no, not P&O, man. You'd be painting what the weirdos on board do. <laughs> So the beer today, you've brought it in for us, Brad. Yes, indeed. I supplied this little one at a nearby bottle shop to my residence, and this is the Deeds Brewing Dark Deeds Double Lamington Imperial Brown Ale. Dark Deeds Double Lamington Imperial Brown Ale. That's <laughs> quite the name. Say what? Who? Oh, is it limited edition? Yes, yes, indeed it is. And we've no. got the only eight left in the country, so. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't know about that, but I'm hoping. Should Actually, we run the bottle shop dry? ASMR Ooh. this one? Ah. Oh. Just a little tipple. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Audience, if you can't hear it, the cans are now open. Yeah. The waft is emerging. I think I can already oh, smell wow. raspberries. I can oh, smell yes, raspberries. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, raspberries. Okay, so the idea is... Okay, immediate impressions, Peter. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> wow. I'm oh, sorry, my mouth is oh, just agape. Oh, wow. Mm. Parte. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Okay, first impressions I'm getting. The what? raspberry note is amazing. Mm. Oh, yeah. Then mm. there's a chocolate note. Mm. Then there's a rather volatile alcohol note going, <laughs> yoo-hoo. Oh, yeah. What is it, 7% alcohol, Brad? This is 8 Oh my lord. Uh, let's have another look. It is 8.5%. Okay, so the 8.5 mm. alcohol mm. hits you like a little sparkling sort of tinkle, 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 <laughs> and then falls away into the deep taste of a brown ale, mm. but with all the chocolate and raspberry going with it, and somewhere in there the coconut then emerges. Oh my dog. This wow. is astounding. Mm. This, this is... Founded by Pat and Dave. Thank you very much, Pat and Dave of Deeds Brewing. <laughs> yeah, Pat and Dave, well, well done. They aim to passionately brew quality beers worth sharing. Well, I hope that this is uh, shared with our listeners here because uh, this is quite the experience. I hope they can come along with us. One of the things I really like already is the the length of it. It's staying sort of on middle palate Mm. in its complexity. It's not just sort of crashing into being sort of a bittersweet raspberry or a little bit of chocolate just dissipating, and yet there's still enough bitterness there to stop it being a fruit bomb. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I almost feel like I could have... Ten of them? This is like a stout that you could... Because it tastes like a dessert. It it Mm. tastes exactly like your typical jam-stuffed lamington. It's one of those peculiar uh, alcoholic drinks. But in a good way. 
Um, I can't remember. There's another one. It's like an ice cream. It's like a it's like a golden gay time beer they've mm-hmm. done or something oh, like that. Big shed brewing, something yeah. like that. But it tastes in this is in the same vein. Vein as the big shed brewing company. Identical to it. However, they've done that. I think it's quite remarkable. Yeah, in the same way that that is a golden gay time. This is the Lamington, mm. and the two of them back to back would be. Well, that'd be intriguing. Mm. I'm not sure how we do that because this is limited, and that turns up a couple of times a year. We can. We can sort of try and holy grail the two at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Another uh, limited edition beer I'd tried recent was Little Bang Brewing's Dark Arts. uh, Oh, they they did with what um, state opera or state theatre company, didn't they? They may have done, yeah. Yeah, It's connected to some sort of arts organisation. And it's uh, it's beautiful. I mean, the first flavour you get when you taste it is just this dark chocolate hint. It's just like... And then you've just got this smooth stout taste that just sits on the palate. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, I think Little Bang are going to end up being very big. <laughs> kind of ridiculous with their name. But everything the seems bang. to be going very well. Now, has anyone else got the sense with this amazing Lamington brown ale that it's actually the coconut that's holding everything together? Or is that my imagination? Mm. Like it's in the <laughs> middle of everything and kind of joining the jam and the chocolate and the bitterness and the length together. We're all tasting mm-hmm. it to verify. Yeah. Mm, indeed. No, I think you're definitely right there. Mm. All of the elements are coming together, but you're right, that beautiful um, coconut taste is kind of framing it, isn't it? Mm. Because you've got this big bombastic um, raspberry taste, this big bombastic chocolate taste, and then you're you're right, just along the edges to Mm. kind of highlight the whole thing. Yep, and stop it getting totally out of control. Mm. Let's go, raspberry, behave. (laughs) Please. I'm still (laughs) trying to get over the fact that, like you said, David, is a consistent taste in my mouth. And what that taste is amazing for a beer. Mm, It's the length you would expect more from sort of a, a whiskey liqueur like Glevar or something mm. where you know, it's a long flavour because the original beverage was a long flavour. Yes. Even their standard just brown ale must be amazing then. If you can do this to it, the fundamental product must be pretty good too. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Deeds Brewing has got a few different beers and they give them different names too. So the Dark Deeds is a name belong to a few different stouts such as this one. And they have a few other ones too. I was having a browse on the, the train ride in. They escaped me now. But. Was this the only one in your local bottle shop or did, you know, does it look like your local bottle shop are actually very supportive of Deeds Brewing? This is actually the only one I found there at the time. Oh, so it might be dumb yeah. luck. It just turned up. and Yeah, definitely. Um, the local bottle shop recently has been stocking quite a few little bang brewing beers and they hadn't done until only about six months ago. So they're really trying to grow in sort of having things people want to drink who are interested in drinking interesting things. Mm, definitely. And um, one beer I unfortunately didn't find there was Little Bang's Sludge Beast. No, that I think you have to go to the brewery. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Because too many beast, people I know have drunk six of them in a night and discovered that it does turn into quite the beast. <laughs> <laughs> At a certain point, we should all just go home. <laughs> and take a bucket so if you're comfortable peter you you gave quite the descriptor at the start uh mm. before we started recording here mm. you were reading the the kind of promotional on the back of there because oh. it's it is quite the script oh the mm. blurb yeah no they really go all out on this one uh so i'll try and read it in my best dramatic uh beer blurb voice <laughs> beer blurb Brought to you by Peter Thompson. <laughs> Turning up the volume on a beer like Lamington Ale was only a matter of time. Double Lamington is another step in our quest to truly create a dessert in a glass. Well, they've done pretty well. Yep. Light chocolate <laughs> notes awesome. and a healthy dose of coconut are joined by a massive hit of jam. As we've added 200 kilograms of raspberry puree right into the fermenter, 
It's sweet, slightly boozy, and the perfect end to an evening. Comfort food, liquefied for your enjoyment. Oh dear, and we're drinking it early in the evening. <laughs> oh, it's, it's beer o'clock somewhere. That's, it's uh, always hey, beer o'clock true, somewhere, yeah. but more importantly, it's beer o'clock in the studio. Uh, and perhaps uh, beer o'clock for the listeners, yeah. If you can find it, good luck, seeing Brad was the only person I know who's ever found this stuff in Adelaide. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking up. It's not at Dan Murphy's, which is our, like... Yeah, just default go the, there just mm, in case. Because th- they hold the, the largest range, it seems, consistently anyway, um, as opposed to your independent bot- bottle shops. So um, it's going to have to be a bit of stalking and research in your local area, I think. Um, or ordering direct from the brewery, maybe. That's not a bad You could idea. get five cartons and be set for life. Look, I've got to say it, a month. Exactly. You know, if you're really a, a Lamington fan, Go like, hard. I, I really can't stress this enough. <laughs> it tastes exactly like it. If you're mm. looking for an interesting gift for somebody who really likes Lamingtons, mm. doesn't like much else, this, this could be a ticket. So well, someone who likes yeah. rolling in 200 kilos of pure oat raspberry. <laughs> oh, yes. yeah. Get out of the raspberry. We have other uses for that. <laughs> I so, mean, that raspberry is very prominent, isn't it? Yes. That's just a, but it's a genuine mm, fruit note, right. not mm. a wacky syrup note. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's got some sourness still. It's okay. almost like the seeds are still there. You've got that, that bitterness of all the little seeds. So you can order it from their website. However, it looks like you have to order rather large quantities. So it looks like Five a few cases. gifts for Christmas. Mm. Um, we know what we're doing for the Christmas yeah. special. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So Get a syndicate together. Yeah, I suppose. The Christmas beer syndicate. <laughs> for our Five days. Is Kitons, Kitons make, so they're like, they've got the famous Lamingtons in Adelaide. Is that Adelaide, is that South Australia only? Kitons, Don't is it know. Bakery? Where are they, man? Oh hmm. man, uh, south of the city. Oh, they're the kind of, Bake, it's, it's a bit like fruit shocks, right? They're like okay. a, they're like a, a South Australian staple, I thought. So if you're not lucky enough to live in South Australia as we do and you need a good Lamington hit, um, the liquefied form that you know can travel and stay fresh, it's almost like living in a weird kind of dystopian future where all of our favourite <laughs> foods have to be liquefied. Everything comes in a can. And it's also an anti-anxiolytic. <laughs> yeah. 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 An anti-anxiolytic? Is that a word? Uh, it is yeah, now. I, I that's think, awesome. I think so. I believe so. That's awesome. Okay, oh, that's a great fun word. Fun facts of the week. Mm. Awesome. Right, gentlemen. Brad, would you like to tell us about where you've been recently? You've been walking up big things again. <laughs> Indeed. Um, walk up big things fairly often, it seems. <laughs> but uh, here I am back in Adelaide, back in the hometown after a nice trip to Europe. So uh, at the end of June, I left Adelaide and flew straight for Zurich in Switzerland. And from there, I caught the train around Switzerland had a bit of a gander and uh, moved across to Chamonix in France. And from there I did the Tour du Mont Blanc, which is a 170-kilometre <laughs> trail with uh, 10 kilometres of altitude climb. Important listeners, this time he did it in warm weather. Oh, he yes. didn't sink up to his chest in snow. No. So do not fear. <laughs> this is not the ghost of Brad. It's the real Brad. This is the real Brad. This is uh, slightly more accessible than a uh, than a winter hike in the middle of Tasmania, I'd say. <laughs> I loved your description that each time you went around a corner in the trail, there was another little kiosk selling pretzels and beer. <laughs> That's a proper way to hike. Exactly. You know, it's all too inviting when you reach the top of a mountain in Italy just to be invited by a bar offering oatmeal stouts. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, you've only walked 10 of the 25 Ks for the day. Give it over 10 Ks to have a stout seems very sensible. Yeah. You've um, got food in one cup. Exactly. Uh, it'll keep you going for the afternoon, but it'll really keep you going. I mean, uh, especially if you're one who can uh, 
talk a bit after having a, a couple of drinks. <laughs> uh, it'll do you for the afternoon. And even every night when you stop at your refuge, uh, you get a hot cooked dinner, fresh made for you when you get there. And they have bars and they have plenty of lagers and plenty of other local beers on mm. offer too. How was mm. the how was the effect of alcohol at that at altitude? altitude. Oh. Is, that, mm. is, is that a thing or I feel like it was, especially with that oatmeal stout, it wasn't too strong. <laughs> <laughs> I only had the one and Yeah, the one uh, one liter can. The one one liter can. <laughs> the one Stein. Um no, I did have the one stubby. And it would have been, my estimate is one and a half standard drinks. And, you know, I think <laughs> 10 minutes into the walk after lunch, mm. felt like a nap. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so the altitude really does have an impact. Yeah. And I especially felt that even earlier in the trip when we did a day walk in Switzerland, up at the altitude about two and a half thousand meters above sea level, you just puff out much quicker. Mm. And 10 steps might take you a little bit of time to recover versus what might be 30, 40 steps down at a lower altitude. What was the normal altitude you were hiking at in Tasmania? Did you like sort of double your your average altitude by doing the Swiss trip? Yeah, I'd say so. In Tasmania, it ranged from between 800 metres up to about 1,200 metres above sea level. Okay, so you really did just mm. about double it. Yeah, oh. definitely, yeah. In Chamonix in France... Um, I think that's about 1,100 metres above sea level. And we got up to about 2,500 metres wow. above sea level. Okay. And it varied it, uh, up and down, up and down, up and down just throughout the whole trip. And um, what was really interesting is, I mean, we did it over eight days, which is usually considered the normal amount of time to do that trek. However, just a few days ago, I had a couple of late nights watching a feed on Facebook and it was the live UTMB, the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, 170 <laughs> I'm pretty sure the person that came first did it in 20 hours. Okay, was what? David Goggins there swearing all the way? <laughs> yeah, fucking mountain, rrr, fucking mountain, rrr, fucking mountain, 19 hours, fucking mountain. Rrr. <laughs> You I was going to do his accent. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> I can get the essential David Goggins language. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think they're much more enthusiastic when they leave the starting line as to when they reach the finish line, which is where they begin from, as it is a, a round trip they do. So at the end, you feel like you've gone nowhere. That would suck. <laughs> My Lord. At the end, you may have even gotten a kilo lighter. Or five. Or five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, do they stop for pretzels and beer? Oh, I'm sure they do. I mean, um, they're probably not offered such uh, attractive food along the way. They have little stops where you can get some food and some essential electrolytes just okay. so you don't die while running. So it all need to be oh, like they, gel they food. Run it. Yes, well, they do 170 it, yeah. k's in 20 oh, hours. I, I suppose, you're going to be yeah. doing, what, 9 to 10 k's an hour? Wow. Mm, in yes. uphill, down dale. Mm. Ouch. Yeah, definitely. It is definitely a, uh, a very serious undertaking. I think it's considered one of the most difficult ultra trails in the world. And to, to even to be able to enter in and compete, you have to have proven Qualified you've completed. In major ones. Yes, yeah. exactly. Because, yeah, otherwise, you know, it's only that the ski patrol on summer duty, you're going to have to go, no, the dum-dum died. Mm, exactly. And, you know, at this time of the year, there's not too much snow on the trail as such. When I did the trail, there was one little snow drift we had to climb across and... 
Yeah, I did fall over and for a second I thought I was going to slide all the way down to the bottom of the mountain. <laughs> that would suck because that's a long way. Yeah, at least on the bright side it would have been a shortcut. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call it, screeing or something where you go feet first and kind of control your slide? I wonder what the name of that is actually, but there were plenty of people that did do that. They okay. did a run and you just kind of stop, but you sort of dig your heels into yeah, the snow and a little sort bit of and you just push as you go. Yeah, you yeah, just Again, slide. Bear Grylls appears to be an expert at it, which is very Bear Grylls-y. <laughs> he only works as hard as he has to, I suppose. Yeah, but that's, again, that's part of making it to SAS. Yeah. If you have to work hard, work hard. If you don't, why would you? Because a minute later, you might have to. Mm-hmm. So always apply the appropriate amount of energy or intelligence to the task, but no more. Mm. You've got to be ready for that next beer and pretzel. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose that's why I took advantage of every uh, beer and pretzel I could along the trail, thinking, well, you know, chances are I'm going to pull through this without injuring myself too bad unless I break my knee or something. So may as well enjoy the hike. (laughs) If you can have the combination of new beers, new pretzels, Mm. an amazing environment, Mm. a group of people who want to do the same thing, so you've got that whole thing of sharing it with a group, Again, even if they're strangers at the start, I'd assume by the end that kind of shared experience mm. of awesome views in a different place is a really positive way to bring a group together. Oh, certainly. I mean, I'd say we were all very good friends by the end of those 10 days. And it was it was eight days of walking, 10 days, including the inaugural meeting and then the farewell at the end. So That's nice that there's a farewell day because, mm. you know, you really, you got so much you've shared with people that would be so different to normal life. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we all come from different walks of life. There was a few people from the, the US, a few from Canada, a couple of other Aussies as well. And there was a Swedish person too. And sorry if I've forgotten anybody. <laughs> That's all right. The, uh, the spirit was to remember listening. them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the group of started as 12 and then unfortunately dropped to 11 and then even to 10 uh, due to injuries. It's a pretty serious undertaking, and so those two people that had to pull out at the very beginnings of the walk uh, started showing signs of having knee issues, so they just had knee pain. Whenever they were walking downhill, they were just going extremely yeah. slow, and mm. when you think if it takes you a couple of hours to go a K and you've got 24 Ks to do you that You just day, can't be doing that. just can't, yeah. And that's the thing people have to realise, that if it goes wrong, you just have to walk away. Mm. If you've put the money in for the opportunity, but putting the money in doesn't guarantee the outcome. That's You're paying right. for the opportunity, not for the end point. Yes. And thankfully with this hike, it's very close to roads and other facilities. So if something bad did happen, chances are you'll get out fairly quickly. You know, it's not as remote as other walks. They could have tried, but it's not worth it really. No, if your body says no early. Exactly. Go and work out why rather than wreck it permanently. Mm -hmm. Again, you're on holiday. Why wreck it permanently? Mm. Makes no sense. Exactly. And... I mean, even if it was the views that you wanted to see, they have cable cars going up and down mm. both yeah. sides of the, the mountain. But this is this is kind of touching on something. The beer's starting to hit me now because this is some plunky beer. So it's, oh, it's, it's good sure beer. Dust is. <laughs> is good beer, yeah. I'm ready to flip over the table on this first part. So <laughs> climbing mountains, I, I'd like to ask you, not in an accusatory way, but but why? What What is it? Because mountains are so kind of symbolic. They're, they are the they are the tallest points. They are the most they are the furthest extremity 
away from normal life. But but that's just me waffling on. I'd like to know what drew you to them initially and, and what you kind of think about it, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, I feel like I've always really enjoyed seeing mountains for their, just that extremity, as you described, Peter. You know, it was really, really just had a very big imposing effect on me from a young age. I remember as a kid going to my grandparents' house and they live on the east side of town and as you go down their street, you just look up at Mount Lofty and it gets taller and taller. So even as a kid, I just thought, wow, uh, it's it looks great. And then um, I think my real first experience up close with mountains was going to Tasmania in 2012. And at that point I did the Overland track and that track goes past some of Tasmania's tallest mountains. And at that point, I think I was then drawn to the idea of being able to climb those, being able to look back on the the trail that you've covered so far and just have a look at, I guess, the remoteness of where they are and just the fact that it is really, really difficult to climb in a mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And so there's a sense of achievement in just climbing up a mountain and a sense of achievement in doing a lot of different things, of course, but... I just identify with being able to climb up the mountain, being able to look back on where I've uh, travelled from and think, wow, you can really cover some ground. And, right. <laughs> and going to Switzerland to see those mountains and go up and around those mountains, not up most of them, but around them, just showed to me that the next step is to actually climb some of those mountains. So that's your someday. next thing, you reckon? Yes, I think, I think so. I think you need to do it. And, and yeah. this is so fascinating because you're talking about – you're not when you talk about it. You're not so much talking about scaling an object as you're talking about some kind of uh, advancement within yourself. Yeah. And when you when you mentioned the uh, Swiss mountains in particular, it makes me think of Nietzsche, who I think yeah. I believe lived mm. in Switzerland and climbed. Is it Fitzcorvatz? He used or, to basically uh, walk up to the snow line and, and every day to clear his mind. And if you mm. want to talk about somebody who used the metaphor of yeah. of mountain climbing for in internal terms of development, personal development, it's yeah. the it's Nietzsche, right? So. Mm. Um, so, but what are the big Swiss mountains? What are they? Oh, oh uh, well, I mean, I don't know anything about Swiss mountains. To so there's the Eiger or whatever it's called. Yes, yeah. that's Iger. the really, really big one. Yeah, Mount Eiger is a very imposing mountain. One of the villages we stayed at in Switzerland is uh, Grindelwald, uh, much like the Harry Potter character. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, sounds like Tolkien would have loved it. I'm <laughs> on the journey so. to Grindelwald. <laughs> oh, it is such a lovely little town and it is a fascinating town too. We stayed at an Airbnb in Grindelwald and the person who owned the, the place we stayed at told us that generally it takes between seven and ten years for the local canton to approve any new buildings to be developed there. Because it's got such a history and a style that they want to be absolutely sure this thing could be there for three, 400 years. It mm. better not suck. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. And when you pull into Grindelwald train station, you get out and first thing you see is a few hotels. Uh, you go up to the first side street, look back over the town, and it is just little cottages with their firewood sitting out the front, yeah. trees everywhere, and then behind it you see Mount Iger, which is one of the most imposing mountains I think I've ever seen in my life. And uh, if you're there in the middle of summer, you'll see probably four or five people hang gliding just oh, over, wow. the, over the village. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Sponsored by Red Bull, no doubt. <laughs> well, it should be sponsored of by course. Double Lemmington <laughs> yeah. Stout because yes. flying would be way better after this. <laughs> I was thinking that. Like, are you getting so drunk that by the end of the day, on these oatmeal, oatmeal stouts, right? Yeah, yeah that by the right. end of the day, it starts at hiking. That becomes 
um, you know, metaphysical tripping. Yeah, walking, <laughs> low, and then by the end of the day, it's oxygen, staggering. High altitude, like, yeah. pink elephant, entopic vision. Oh, communing with the mountain spirit. Okay. <laughs> ah, bud. Now, a question I have to ask because I've read descriptions of this. Mm-hmm. At any point, Brad, were you high enough up that you could look down on clouds? Yes. Oh, what's that like? Because the descriptions I've read of that sensation of being a human that looks up at clouds being so high that you look down mm. and you see them moving around the topography below you is just a captivating concept to me. Oh, yeah. it's um, it, it really is striking at first. Uh, I think where I really got to see it first was near the top of Jungfrau. A Jungfrau is a mountain you can reach from Grindelwald if you go by train, and you can hike up if you like. However, you've got about two and a half k's of altitude to climb so it's up to you but uh (laughs) on the train you can have a beer on the train you can have a beer (laughs) you can go from 38 degrees which is what it was where we were in grindelwald 38 38 switzerland okay heat wave oh yeah definitely um i talked to a local and uh he said that there actually was a bit of a hot front moving across from africa at the time and uh you may have seen in the news there were two heat waves in europe earlier this year well that was you were one in the of midst them. of it. Yep. Yeah, 38 degrees and then... In a place made to survive the depths of winter. So you're, you're exactly. hiking in flip-flops just to... <laughs> yeah, but you couldn't <laughs> because of the angles. <laughs> I wish I could hike in flip-flops. <laughs> just really aggressive grips on the bottom of them. They just still held on. And tape them to your foot. Where's your staple gun? Thunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's blood. Well, that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Sorry, looking down at mountains, man. I distracted Yeah, no, nah, that's all good. <laughs> we uh, went up to near the top of Jungfrau where it was about mm. 12 degrees. And so uh, from up there, you have a look back on where you've travelled from and you can just see clouds down there. Wow. You think, what? They're supposed to be up there, not down there. And when you're looking down at the ground below, you would look at probably, I guess, the, the lowest points, which still would have been a fair altitude above sea level, but they're much closer to the clouds. And you think, heck, that doesn't look like anything between the clouds and the ground there, but it's, it's a huge distance. And even up at the mountains, uh, the difference between the tops of the mountains and where you're at down below is huge. I mean, Mount Iger, uh, between the top of Mount Iger and where we were staying is, uh, yeah, nearly two and a half k's of altitude. But you just look wow. up at it and think, Mm, yeah, I can climb that in a day. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> okay. If you're going to go down this path of learning to climb, mm-hmm. what the heck do you have to do next? Is this something you can amateur your way through or do you sort of have to find a club of experts and literally apprentice to be safe or how does it work if you start learning to climb? Yep. I actually had a little talk to the, the guide that we were with on the hike in Switzerland about this and I said to him I wanted to start climbing and I wasn't too sure where to start Mm. he said just start small find a local group or have a lesson and then from there you can get slowly more and more experienced and so I actually have an indoor rock climbing lesson tomorrow night awesome yeah (laughs) I've done the indoor one here in Adelaide once I had a freak out about a blind guy doing it oh I imagine they probably haven't had many of no, those people I, before. I loved it. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that Because again, you have awesome, to scrub yeah. around with your hands and feet to find it. But the point is, I'm used to using my hands and feet mm. to find things. Mm-hmm. So for me, the idea of scrabbling and not seeing is like, well, big deal. And I'd imagine most of your strength, David, is in precisely holding uh, muscles in tension over long periods of time. Yeah. Yeah. It's something, oh, yes, you know, yeah. Youngblood and I were talking mm. about the other day that, you know, from having the cane arm so close to me all the time, my arms don't swing when I walk. Yeah, you know, again in class, 
you know, I sort of explained Putin with his gunslinger walk of his right arm doesn't move from the alpha team training to carry a handgun. Well, my right arm doesn't move either, but it's because of the cane, <laughs> which then puts out the whole way your upper body move is different because mine doesn't move. And controlling it is far harder than just swaying with the movement. So you end up with, you know, a lot of isometric strength to hold things still. Mm. So, yeah, rock climbing was awesome. Mm. Yeah, that would have <clears throat> that would have been yeah a real a real good um, way to use those skills I guess um, yeah. just that adaption of having a sort of rigid upper body yeah. because although I haven't experienced vertical wall climbing before I've done a bit of scrambling and to do so you sort of have like one and a half meter things that you have to climb just ledges mm. and to do so sometimes you've got to get a fair grip and normally you'd use grips that are rock climber would use as well mm. and just to do so i've found that wow it's it different really kind of strength different. yeah definitely yeah like rock climbers have a completely different body it, it's interesting one of my former students her partner's a fairly good rock climber and she noted one day hey you two have similar musculature thought, mm. well that's interesting from yoga and rock climbing it's such an emphasis on everything being equally developed and i thought mm. well that's the first time someone's done a comparison between what yoga does and a, you know, a different activity. Mm. But it's an activity that takes everything. So that seems to be the real advantage with rock climbing too, is that every bit of you has to work well and it all has to work in balance. There's no hanging a limb out and trying to make it stronger. It's no use if it's not you know, in keeping with the rest of you and maintaining your balance. Mm-hmm. The philosophies of the ex- exercise seem pretty similar too. Yeah. You, know, you, you benefit from it. Uh, your your mind benefits from rock climbing probably in similar ways. And lots of puzzle solving. Mm. Mm. Right. Like how do I get where I need to go? I need to get to there because that's the way to the next thing. But how do I get to there? Mm. Right. So it's a wonderful combination. You've got a goal, but the goal is not, you know, five centimetres away. It might be five metres away. And you've got to get that one to get the next one five metres away. So it's a wonderful thing of goals just just beyond your reach, which is actually the best way to achieve them. Mm. And it really trains you to look at, I guess, the the immediate surrounding to think, what can I use here to be able to get there? And yeah. it makes you be really resourceful. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, that thing of just seeing the environment and going, well, I'm in it, it's not going to change. There's no point not being happy with the environment. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's up to me to adapt to it. So it's very much a thing of looking at mountains and going, I just want to climb that for what it will teach me about me. It seems rock climbing will just double down on that aspect of this rock isn't changing, so I better adapt mm. to best climate. Mm. Mm. Well, we've reached the halfway point, fellas. What are we thinking about the beer now that we've probably had more than a few sips? That's good you said that because I was just thinking, you know, when Brad was talking before, and I should have been not thinking about beer, but I was thinking about beer too. And <laughs> it stayed as good as it was at the beginning. I agree. Mm. So many things like this are novelties. You go first two mouthfuls awesome by halfway through the can, you're like, yeah, whatever. Right. Whereas I'm halfway through my can and I still like the length, I still like the flavour, I still like the balance, I still like the fact there's enough bitterness to keep it under control. Mm. The coconut note is still holding it together but is in some strange way elusive. So listeners, it's not like someone put a bounty bar in the stout. It's not <laughs> like a horribly yeah. sugary sweet coconut. It's like the dryish fibres of maybe, yeah, literally like some dried coconut, you know, shredded coconut in a salad where it's coconutty, but it's more the non-sugary coconut flavour. 
and that's sort of holding everything together. And I'm so glad we have another can after this one. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm starting to taste the beer in it, I think, is maybe how I would describe it. As it goes on, I still have the same mm. flavours. Uh, I would say that it's maybe at 80% of that initial taste and the remaining 20 More has that kind ale. of stout. Mm. Yeah, brown mm. ale, sorry. Mm. Is it brown ale? Yeah, that's the base. Oh, that's a bit awkward. I said it was a stout at the start. Yeah, but it is on the label. Well, I see. Actually, is it? No, it no it's not. Uh, Imperial it's brown, brown ale. ale. Mm. Yeah. Either way, it's oh. awesome. Well done, <laughs> yep. Deeds Brewing. That's it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Gentlemen, uh, how have our weeks been? Uh, anything that's pissed you off? Uh, what are we reading? What are we watching? What was the other? Can I start with a happy thing? You may. I got to pat a baby alpaca and it was freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Karen and I went to the show on Sunday and we were going through the animal pavilion and we got to an alpaca uh, breeder's sort of area where she had her animals and she'd won heaps of prizes. And Karen was describing all the amazing colours of the alpacas and the way they were watching us with their big booey brown eyes. And uh, Lee, the lady who owned them all, came and said, would you like to pat an alpaca? Mm. So she went and grabbed this six-month-old alpaca where I think one of its relatives had just got best fleece in show. (laughs) So this was like the woo end of alpaca. And brought it over to the gate so I could reach through and sink my fingers up to basically, well, literally to my hand in its fur. Oh. And it was like warm and soft and amazing. So thank you, thank you, thank you very much, Lee from Fleur de Lis Alpacas. Cool. It was an awesome experience. Did you say happy Father's Day to the dad of the baby alpaca? I'm not sure if that alpaca's dad was there. <laughs> oh, and okay. it, They're fascinating <laughs> creatures because they come from somewhere where you've got pumas and panthers and jaguars and you need to be a very quiet, smart prey animal. They're really quiet and really calm. Mm. Like from a blind perspective, it's kind of annoying. <laughs> Cows moo, sheep bleat, or bar, goats bleat. Alpacas do this like low frequency, almost like hum or hiss. Mm. Mm. Literally like that, Brad. You could be an alpaca. <laughs> Brad is going to be an alpaca whisperer. Mm. <laughs> it's like Marge Simpson, but mellow. A mountain mm. alpaca. <laughs> A wonderful experience. I then went and bought an alpaca jumper. The problem is after buying that, I'm like, I want more alpaca. And winter's nearly over in Adelaide, so this is not very sensible. Oh. Oh. It's when it's cheap, though, right? Or does that not happen when the quali- like the quality of the product is so good that they don't ever? Well, I, why would to, they change okay. season to season? I yeah, suppose. Yeah, you know, having mentioned you know Lee from Flutterlees Alpacas, I bought a jumper from Sue and Trevor from Adaminka Alpacas, mm-hmm. and it's pretty bloody good. And it was on a show special. Okay. So I'm not even going to say how cheap it was because I'm sure they can't have that price outside of the show. <laughs> but, oh, my dog, I'm going to go back every show and buy another jumper. Sorry, Sue and Trevor, you're never going to get a proper profit margin. David, actually, while you've just said that, can I ask you why you say, oh, my dog? What's the what, – is it just fun practice or – I'm not going to say, oh, my God, because there are people out there I know who that would upset. I see. And, oh, my dog's more entertaining. Yeah, okay. I mean, good enough reason. I just thought I'd ask. No. Mm. I don't know why it came back into my head today. I think probably because I saw my dad Saturday and he and I have something annoyed the shit out of both of us. We just go, oh my dog. <laughs> <laughs> and catching up for his birthday and Father's Day, I think we owe my dog to each other about something. <laughs> Maybe the next one will be, oh my alpaca. Mm. Mm. But then I have to go, mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> more syllables means more energy expended saying things that you don't have to say, I guess. Oh, well, I mean, Australia is doomed then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, g'day. <laughs> Cowdy. Yeah. Yeah. Lammy stout. 
Lammy Brown Ale. <laughs> Peter, how's things going? Uh, had good or bad things in your week? Anything that's pissed you off or, oh. or that's excited you? Or? No, no, no. I've had a wonderful week, actually. That's good. Uh, you know, I was thinking a little bit towards the end of our conversation about mountain climbing. I've been reading the, uh, the, uh, the uh, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. So that's okay. The, right. the Tao Te Ching, right? Oh, the golden way. Right, right. Yeah, the, the way. Far easier to just call it the golden. Oh, is it the way or the golden way? Oh gosh, I think it's I just, don't know. I think it's, just it's just the, the way. The way. You're right. Um, yeah. But the, but that was fantastic as well. It it kind of touched on so many of the of the kind of elements about mountain climbing, about uh, going with the flow. Of Whose translation are you reading? Oh gosh, I can't remember. I can't remember the actual translation right now. Because there's a lot of different translations. I think Alan Watts did a translation of it. Oh really? Our, our favourite intellectual that we can't that we can't decide whether we like him or not because Listen, <laughs> some of the stuff to make Eastern philosophy accessible is amazing, but being a crusty Brit horribly in lust with American college students in the 60s is creepy. <laughs> so he's a weird combination of I do not doubt his intellectual benefit to the world, mm. but dude, stop talking about the 19-year-old college chick who could be your granddaughter. Yeah, well, look, at, at part of that, in some ways, there is a silver lining to that cloud insofar as when he talks, uh, he's obviously trying to appeal to the prettiest girl in the room, and so there's a really yeah. nice timbre. And uh, no, it's called desperation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Sorry, <laughs> look, sorry to wreck that, dude, but it was just too good a setup. I, I had to hit that. Yeah, with a baseball. That's fine. That's, that's fine. Said, yeah, yeah boom, boom, <laughs> whack. Thank you, Peter. The man's on fire. Mm. Now, fair Peter, if, if the Dao Te Ching has kind of fallen over, art. And the use of gold leaf. Mm. Let's uh, get serious. Yeah, well, I mean, we were talking about we were talking about before the uh, the experience of being on the other side of the the clouds. And I've been doing some watercolor pictures that I plugged at the start. The uh, my uh, my official say Instagram. your Instagram again. Oh, it's uh, pact dot artwork at uh, on Instagram. You can check me out there. But I've been using gold leaf as a kind of as a kind of medium and I got really interested and in I've seen a couple of brilliant Melbourne artists using it recently and so I looked into the history you know recently I've been getting into the kind of what do you call it um, Jordan Peterson was it is Joseph Campbell the myth books Joseph Campbell remember. wrote that wonderful thing uh, that sci-fi thing set in Antarctica oh no I'm thinking the original version of the thing or it thinking about I'm thinking about Different. the power of the power of the power of myth I think but, uh, Might be in, the same guy because he was into myth before he wrote so far. In any case, I, I started to think, why are these artists using gold leaf? And I started to come up with these, see the kind of connection in there. It was Joseph Campbell. Ah, Joseph Campbell. I thought so. So there's the the usage of, you can kind of trace it back to ancient religious practices. And there's the, the association with kind of, you know, take it Egyptian religion, for example, you've got the association with Ra as the sun with the kind of lead deity. Uh, and that tradition was kind of uh, taken on by medieval artists who incorporated it to to represent the sun, which itself was a, a metaphor for divinity. And so, yeah, I've been kind of, I've been experimenting with, with uh, these pictures that utilize the gold leaf in their on parts of nature. I've done a series of birds that are sitting on kind of golden twigs. And it's, I suppose it's kind of emotionally, it's kind of my testament to the the beauty of uh, God in nature 
a kind of a pantheistic, uh, pantheistic type feeling where you can imagine all of the the universe as, as kind of sacred in a way. Sort of beauty personified in a small living fragile thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's the glimmering of the sun. It's uh, luminescent in a way that nothing else is. There's no, there's nothing there's nothing that's visually similar to the sun. It's mm. it's it's unique, and I and I think that's why primitive man had this attraction to gold as a substance. Is that it glimmered in the same way when well, you? Well, the fact you, it didn't tarnish must have been huge too. Exactly. To have okay, so assume we've made it into the Bronze Age. Bronze looks amazing when it first comes out of the mold. And then from then on, it just tarnishes and tarnishes and tarnishes. Copper looks amazing when you first smelt it. And suddenly you find this thing that even if it gets scratched, you can just buff the scratches out, but it doesn't tarnish. Like that must have been an amazing concept to link to the idea of God. And maybe, I think some cultures even conceived gold as the flesh of God. For that reason, it was always so luminous and didn't tarnish and couldn't be reduced to anything else. It didn't degrade. If I might ask as well, to, to use gold leaf amongst other uh, colours and other um, styles of painting on the same piece of artwork or right. drawing would really distinguish the gold apart from everything else and really give it a character that stands out from the rest of the, the piece of art. And uh, do, you, do you find with gold leaf you can really accentuate other uh, colours, other colours, things you're, you're thinking and feeling when you create that piece of art. Does it make you step up to a level to match the gold? Yep. I ab- suppose is what I'm thinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's such a it's such an overwhelming element on the page that you really need to counterbalance it quite carefully. So normally I have and the wonderful thing is I have these beautiful birds that I draw. I do a kind of big splash of watercolor underneath. It's just just wild. I go absolutely nuts with it just just putting the color down on the page. Then uh, I use a crayon dark crayon to kind of bring out the shape of the bird over the kind of wild flurry of color. And that bird sits on normally a golden branch or some kind of golden plant. And I, and, and it, you're right. It's the gold is very overwhelming and I have to make the rest you of really the You really have to step up. You have to right. like bring your best game. When you're using a material which elicits divinity, yeah. um, the, the metaphor of divinity, I think you have to step up in your game. But it's been, it's been going quite well. So mm. uh, I've got a lot of positive reception, which is fantastic. And that if you need awesome. to go the other way, you could always go to titanium oxide. Which is yeah. what? A dark, non-reflective grey mm. would uh. change the style completely. How expensive would that be to put on paper? Infinitely cheap. You just don't want to breathe it. Oh, I saw that. Ultrafine particles and that's a good for your lung. Oh, okay. But, uh, or something, um, some of the coatings they make for metal, like the, some of the, the boron-based coatings, are just almost light-absorbing dark grey. You know, it's what a lot of military metal kit is coated in to make it indestructible so that light won't reflect, nothing will glint. Oh, holy and cow. And it would be interesting because it would be the exact opposite of what you're doing, Peter. And it'd be fascinating to see you've adjusted to dealing with the super bright and luminescent. What would happen to you know the super matte? What would your response be? Oh, that's fantastic. Well, well, I think I'm, I'm going to have to do some have work. have to find out. Like, <laughs> yeah, what would it be like going the other way? Like what would it be like you know, drawing a different kind of creature mm. who lives in or, shadow? Or a crow. Like it could yeah, be well, that's what I was thinking. Kind of, yeah. So the crow becomes the luminescent thing. Mm. Oh, cool. Oh, that's Man, I wish I could nice. see this. <laughs> Is anyone needing a drinks stuff? break? Yeah. Up to last yep. mouthful. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Unreal. Goodbye, Ken. No yeah, really, uh, so good. Hello. We're back. Good okay. evening. Now, in the break, yes. listeners, we were talking about what Peter's been reading, and I suggested if people are interested in reading The Way, uh, a very good book to read alongside is Edward Slingerland's book, Trying Not to Try. He's probably the most engaging and accessible scholar in the West on ancient Chinese thought and kind of explains you know, how and why Taoism emerged, why Confucianism became the dominant thing within you know, an imperial state and what Taoism offers us now. And in a lot of strange ways, out of Taoism you get very similar things to out of Aristotle. You essentially get a Chinese version of virtue ethics. So I'm all two cheers for Edward Slingerland, who has a very cool name. The way of virtue. I mean, there's multiple translations of this book. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna Read listen one. to the audio translation. I think um, you've recommended it to me. I'm, I, I take your recommendations quite quite seriously. And it's mm. and it's a Peter, short so. it's a short listen. It's about yeah. an hour and forty minutes. Oh, nothing. So it's okay. it, yeah. it's like one of those other ones. It's like mm. the book of book of nine rings and yeah. uh, little, uh, five rings. Uh, well, five make rings. sure you, make sure you get the Slingerland too, Tim, because on its own. Mm. The way is just like, whoa, I'm overwhelmed. Okay. You've got to have a context. Right. Or at least right. I had to have a context. Right. Otherwise, I was going to be I've pretty watched, much overwhelmed. I've watched terrible films that are longer than that audiobook. So, <laughs> yes. um, you know, I, I watched, uh, we were talking about Bruce, Bruce Lee in the break. And I watched uh, the new Tarantino film recently. Mm. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? That's the one. Thank mm. you. I was going to struggle to remember the name. And they had Bruce Lee in the film. Sorry if that's spoilers to anyone. <laughs> spoilers coming up. Yeah. Uh, if you can't deal with spoilers, uh, it's go most, away. Most, <laughs> most, most minor spoiler. Uh, they had Bruce Lee in the film and he makes all kinds of funny noises in his appearance like he does in the films. But did you know those, those noises were ad hoc? They were put in afterward. They're not him actually making those noises. It's just to make him sound more Chinese. Oh, damn. That's oh. really fucked up. Yeah, mm. but mm. in this Tarantino film, he was making the noises, and I was like, well, yeah, this is based Tarantino on- but that's Tarantino being a dick. Yeah. Mm. Which, Sorry, I, I, two-thirds I, of the time, Tarantino's a dick. Yeah. He might be able to make good movies, oh. but every time I've tried to listen to an interview, I've ended up quitting because yeah. I go, I would not want to be anywhere near him for more than three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> to yep. go, Pulp Fiction, dude, amazing. Thank you. Bye now. Sorry, I reject your hypothesis. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly how he talks too. Yeah, he's look, um, n- not much pleasurable about the man, I don't think, except for some of the things that he's created. That he's yeah. And that's fine. Mm. You mm. don't have to be likable because no. we don't have to interact with you. Well, and, yeah, and, and you're hardly in front of the camera, so it's okay. Yeah, except him from Dust Till Dawn where he wanted to be that close to Selma Hayek naked. <laughs> hey, don't we all? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brad, Brad, what have you been watching, listening, uh, reading, uh, pondering, pondering? Mm, what's pissed you off? What's made you happy uh, aside from climbing things? Unless that is uh, that course, could be the thing. Yeah. Sure, I found recently. I've tried to watch movies, but how'd that go? Poorly. It did. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you guess? <laughs> Just from the way you said it, and the fact yeah. that the whole time I've known you, you've never talked about a movie once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, it strikes people as strange, but I don't watch movies often. <laughs> movies are crap. In, insufficient input. Insufficient data. Input. You know, um, I mean, this is a real old one. I remembered. Well, I was browsing through Netflix. 
and I saw Wanted, you know, the Angelina Jolie film Wanted. Oh, wow. It was When's that from? Yeah. Is that uh, one where you can curb the bullies? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, some some 10 years ago, I think it oh, came yeah. out. Yeah. And I remember at the time, uh, I used to play a lot of Counter-Strike on the computer. And um, oh, yeah. I remember <laughs> <laughs> that uh, different players could uh, put a little photo up or what they would call it as a tag. You could just tag the wall with something. And forever you'd see these tags of Wanted with Angelina. Angelina Jolie in it. I remember at the time thinking, maybe I should just watch it. You know, it's a movie. It, maybe it's maybe it'll be good. And then I didn't. And now ten years later, I tried. I lasted fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you. Yeah. Um, and then I proceeded to try and watch a doco, but uh, I thought I should probably well, just that give point, it all away. Just gone film. No. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Wow. Because that's about the last thing that I can even remember Angelina Jolie being in. She's kind of faded out of relevance, really. I think yeah. she's got very busy being like a, a UN mom. representative. Oh, okay. Mm. I was going to say mum. UNICEF <laughs> or something like that. Okay. Mm. Or Save the Children. Oh, good on her. One of those kind of things. Yeah. Which, again, if you've got the money now to spend your time putting a bright light on things that need to change... Mm. That's a good way to spend the next chunk of your life. How about you, David? What's been going on? Oh, no, you talked about your alpacas. Well, I, the only other thing I wanted to talk about, you know, Friday night talking to the effective altruism people, mm. which mm. will be interesting, mm-hmm. then drinks, then going to a wonderful Vietnamese restaurant called Sky Restaurant in Ward Street in North Adelaide. Discovered this last week, we live in a world where there are so many distractions that an amazing little restaurant run by an amazing family can hardly have any people in it because no one knows it's there. So we're so distracted by pointless shit that even when something amazing is one street away, it's dumb luck to find it. It is. And that kind of annoyed me this last week Mm. that how many wonderful things are there in our overcooked, over-mediated, over-egged everything world that we miss just because we're bombarded by so much crap. I want to provide a counterpoint. Please do. Because it's not a cafe or a bar, makes it difficult as a restaurant, I think. It doesn't necessarily fit into the Adelaide renaissance of kind of popular things that become popular because word of mouth. I would argue there are a few examples and multiple examples of kind of cafes and and bars and kind of hot places to go that get popular because of word of mouth in Adelaide. There is that kind of underground scene, but maybe because it's in North Adelaide, maybe because... Yeah, but um, most bars that are hot only need to do six months. There was a minimal economic investment. There's huge amounts of time and connectedness and networking to make a small cafe or bar a success. Mm-hmm. But the cash outlay is not gratuitous. And in the main, most bar owners go from one, have a break, the next, have a break, the next. Because once they go out of style, they die. Mm. You know, it's about the multi-generational thing of evolve, be popular, die, evolve, be popular, die. Mm. Good restaurants, I was going to say should, but maybe that's my word. Well, no, I'm going to say it anyway. Should <laughs> be valued and last. Well, I, I'll, I'll give you an example of that. Cafe Michael 2, which... Is astounding and been there for a very long time. Early 2000s used to get lots of awards for the food that they make, and I'm sure, I don't know what it was like then, but... Uh, I'm sure it's the same now. Uh, excellent restaurant still mm. around. It's it's an mm. anti-fragile, right? Yeah. Mm. Well, or Amalfi's is another example on From mm-hmm. Street, just or From Road. Just an amazing place that's been there for as long as I can remember, at least late 90s, 
earlier because mm. it, it had already been there well before I went for the first time in the late 90s. Mm. So, yeah, just this whole thing of we're so distracted at the moment by just crap. What's, what's the thing when you're so bad at something that you can't even tell that you're bad at it? What is it? I know we've talked Stupidity. about it Stupidity. <laughs> the there's Darwin a, Awards. Name, Ignorance. <laughs> let's, say, let's say that you're so inept at public speaking that you think you're the next Tony Robbins, but yeah. you're actually god awful. Yeah. Um, or, or dog awful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh. But... but uh, but maybe that's the case with these restaurants, that they are so excellent in mm. such a genuine, actually inventive way that most people are not able to appreciate them, uh, that they can't garner mass appeal because they lie so far outside of the culinary experience of most people. That, that just struck me. Well, that's the thing. I need to take a few mm. you know, Vietnamese people with me to it and get their opinion. Mm. Or, or how's this beer, for instance? I mean, does this does this extend to other things as well it's like you know we all buy the wine that gets most recommended by wine tasters and then that price inflates to something that makes it just ridiculous for what it actually is Mm. is the same thing with you know is it the same thing with beer it's definitely the same thing with whiskey so does Mm. the same thing happen with restaurants like do we need some kind of critic to go out there before people are going to listen my big dream november last year when they started saying how big the christmas new year cross lotto draw was going to be, mm-hmm. was to buy the Archer when it was closed, the Archer Hotel. And initially I had the whole dream of doing the perfect version of the perfect pub. Do everything my version of 100%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's amazing what I can use to distract myself from actually getting constructive work done. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, you know, the plotting and planning to run the perfect pub was really amazing mm. until I realised it will fail. Because what I wanted to do was so perfect that the cost of achieving it could never be met mm. by people paying for it. Right. Mm. And I had to have a repondering, go, okay, the trick is to do good enough that people value it, but keep the cost at a level where people can afford it. And in the case of, you know, a Sky Restaurant as an example, the quality is far higher than the price, but it's not stratospherically strange quality. You know, they're doing really good Vietnamese food, not out there Vietnamese fusion food. So I think it's just humans are distracted is my point. I think you've found another interesting issue, and that is we can order nearly anything online, including this beer. Mm -hmm. And as a consequence, how do we know what we want? It's so easy when there's a a review in the local paper and we all still read the local paper to go, oh, we should try that, it's new. But how many new places are there now that just it's someone's dream to open it? Mm. It's the family savings for a decade. It's just like meet me and gone because it didn't either hit the zeitgeist of its minute, month or year or have something of genuine quality that meant people found it and it survived. And so you're arguing that it does have genuine quality and it should survive? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And that lots of things do but now because there is just – so many ways to distract ourselves and consume middle-of-the-road stuff. Mm. It's so easy to do what's easy. And do you think it reflects in habits? So many people might find it a habit to go to, I don't know, Macca's or Hungry Jack's, for example. Yeah. <laughs> and burgers, burgers and, yeah, no, nah, well, yeah, Zambreros too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, burgers are awesome. Uh, burritos and Mexican food are awesome. Mm. But... Uh, when you've got so many options and it is really overwhelming to just pick something new, yeah, 
than a lot of those smaller places that haven't made their name as big as the huge, I guess, um, duopoly in Australia in beggars like Hungry Jacks and Maccas mm. seem to win. But I think, in a way, some places are coming out. I mean, some people are finding more of the um, more of the gourmet stuff to be more attractive, although it's a bit more pricey. You're finding again, that's that thing of finding that balance. It mm. has to be good enough that people want it, but affordable enough they can. Have it. So, you know, the Archer got rebirthed by Woolies. Not my ideal way to rebirth the pub I love. But they're doing killer 14 buck steaks on a Friday. <laughs> only Woolies could do that. Right. They're the only ones with the buy price yeah. to be able to buy that much medium quality steak and have a chef who can pump out hundreds of steaks in a Friday night that are all good. And you know mm. what? That pub is actually really good. It's on a the nice pub. place. Well, on the yeah. basis that I will follow you in on a Friday night or Friday day and not eat that half-price steak, pay twice as much for my vegetarian meal, which probably costs half as much to make. Because my steak. Yeah. Because it's your steak. It's all topsy-turvy, the universe, isn't it? <laughs> and I still enjoyed the experience. Yeah, because let's be blunt, it is a nice place. It's a nice building. It's a good bunch of people running it. Yeah, I don't know. I just kind of wish that people had enough time to slow down and go, I should try something new. Mm. and I should be able to find something new that will reward my commitment to the new. Mm-hmm. I want people's experience to keep expanding their joy in being brave. Mm. So what I want is actually something really freaking big, like you know, <laughs> like Brad climbing mountains <laughs> and like Peter playing with gold leaf to make amazing art. Mm-hmm. Like you take a risk and you go, well, that was worth it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can either shovel calories down your neck or you can shovel calories down your neck and get some comfort food i.e. Zambreros, after podcasts. Or you can go somewhere and go, this is a bit of a new thing and it's not a challenge but it is more rewarding than just comfort food. Mm-hmm. I would argue we've talked about the power of food a little bit in our other podcasts, Blind Insights, or, or the main feed of this podcast, Blind Insights. And since kind of thinking about this a little bit more, I am, have been much more prepared to spend money on, on food Mm. than I have other forms of entertainment or things because I found more connection to other people through yeah. food. So the one thing with food is you get the connection mm. of the thing and food is always better with people. That's it. Mm. And mm. since yeah. starting to drink again, spending more money on a nicer whiskey, a nicer beer, something like this, mm. yeah. you know, as, as much as you may need to buy a whole pallet or uh, what are they called? Carton. Carton. No, we don't want a pallet. Uh, <laughs> we'd have to be, we'd have to be really no, committed to drink a pallet. What are they called? Slab. 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 Oh, you, you may need yeah. to buy a whole slab at once. You know, that's a slight investment. Pallet wouldn't hurt, but no, totally no. worth it. Yeah. 24 <laughs> lamingtons. Ooh. Well, no, no, no. It's Six a double lamington. It's, per it's, man. It's, 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 it's double lamington. So it's actually mm. 48 lamingtons. <laughs> 48 lamingtons. The are about to fail. And as you, can, as you can tell, the beer works as well. Oh, yeah. Good beer. <laughs> and the second one tastes the same, so it's not potluck. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. And I'm still enjoying it, which for novelty. Yeah, and this could fit in that terrible novelty beer category, but it doesn't. It's by far a better beer than that. But, I mean, that, that's that's one of those things, isn't it? We're, we're kind of talking about – I can't help but wonder if – talking about our perfect perfect creative pubs, I can't help but wonder if things aren't st- uh, stacked against them because you've got, let's say, people are temperamentally split into ex- more exploratory and, and less exploratory people. If you think about it, the people who have got these wonderful exploratory ideas, they're really getting screwed over yeah. because, because 
sometimes exploratory people are so bloody tired that yeah. they just want to do the thing that has that takes on less cognitive load that yeah. induces. And less the more tired load. we all are from busy lives, the more we don't do exploratory. We just do just try and be comfortable. Mm. Yeah. So you so you've got these people out there who are trying to maybe come up with inventive ideas in in whatever field. Yeah. Um, and they're really fighting against the current. But I mean, but it, but isn't that that's the kind of beautiful thing about it? At, yeah. at least that's what I feel with with my artwork. I don't ever expect to gain notoriety or, or fame, but I kind of put my I put my hand down yeah. and say, "Hey, this is this is the culmination of all the things I find interesting instinctively." Yeah. And if that's something that other people gravitate towards, fantastic. And if and if not, then not. But uh, I kind of got I got really absorbed with looking at artists and finding out what their creative process was. And I was thinking, "Oh, okay. How do they brainstorm what they find cool?" You know, how do they find what the cool things are they put into their work? Every artist, well, mo- the vast majority of artists that I look into, they can be musical or, or film or, or, or whatever, visual artists, they all say, it was just the things that I found interesting. Yeah, they do what they're compelled to yeah, do. Yeah, and that's it? a trick. you got to th- do what you're wh- compelled I to do. I thought whales were cool and farts were cool and now <laughs> farting whales has got a Grammy, you know. And it's, <laughs> and it's but... Um, but it's it's kind of it's bizarre because because those type of people I think re- those type of creative people really have their job cut out for them. But at the same time, they are the people who produce. And what was this fantastic Thai restaurant? Just one more time. It was a fantastic Vietnamese, Vietnamese pardon Sky Restaurant on Ward Street in North Adelaide. That you know, artists like that are the are the reason that we have these wonderful new things at all. So I, I don't know, it's interesting. Mm. Interesting. And it kind of relates uh, to the uh, Tao Te Ching as, as well. It's um, kind of about trusting your instincts. It's trusting your natural flow. It's not to try and overwrought it with some kind of thinking or anything. It's more about kind of an integration of thought and feeling in the same thing that drives you towards one, one aim. Mm. And, and to sort of extend that, you know, Edward Sligland's book really helps to make sense of Taoism and it's do the hard work to get the discipline so that you can free your mind to not need to think about the steps. Mm. That if you can imagine what you want to do, you've done the years of discipline to just implement it. So like a, like a sports person, uh, yeah. an Olympic All swimmer, the training first. They, they do each motion of the stroke as though it were as natural as breathing. Yeah. But by the discipline of getting it better and better so they don't have to think when it matters. Again, this is why Edward Sinclair called his book Trying Not to Try. Because the only way that you can try not to try is by trying a lot initially, but in a very orderly way, so that later all you do is go swim. Hmm. But before you can just give the command swim, there's so much work to do it well. Do you think that can be applied to mental processes too? Instead of, oh, not instead of, but we have physical processes like sports, uh, going and doing things, um, but mental processes too, like um, analyzing, analyzing things. Yeah, yeah. It, um, it, you're slow math, initially, for example, and you get faster later. Mm-hmm. You, know, you do the work until you, you know. Slingland's point is, at the end of the day, once you know how to do it, you don't have to think about how to do it. You just do. But just doing doesn't come from nowhere. It doesn't jump out of the void. You know, it emerges from discipline. And then you have the freedom to just apply things. And because you're only applying them, you can watch it happening and refine it and guide it because you're not thinking about the next step. You're watching it because of the work you've done before. I Okay. Slight counterpoint. 
thinking about that in the context of my editing, I know I'm going to go home and edit this episode. It has now become such an unconscious second nature thing. Well, it's second nature thing just to take out ums and ahs and all that kind of stuff that now I find the process boring. Yeah. Because it's so in you. Mm. It's burned in Mm. deep into your unconscious. You just say edit and it happens. But that's because you've done all the work. Yeah, but as something that you would like to do for a job, you'd much rather it be slightly more interesting and involved. Mm. Yeah, but that's the prep for the editing. It's the product that got put on the SD card. Yeah. That's what you're shaping. You've now got the skill to edit that no matter what happens. And I need to think about that more because my inner journalist, I don't think serves this platform as much as it should. Uh, I think myself and the producer. Is that a confidence thing? Where's that coming from? I'm unsure, but yeah, I think uh, it got me thinking, it got me thinking about it today because Peter asked some really good questions today. I was like, you know, I'm good at doing that, but I don't often bring them out. I learned learned from you, Tim. (laughs) Okay. Can I suggest that perhaps because when we do blind insights, it's so much you're responsible for questions then and I provide answers Mm. that when it's this environment, you haven't quite worked out what you want to be in it yet. I would argue, look, I would still argue that over the course of blind insights, I have tried possibly in becoming more confident around you, David, have become more of a have tried becoming more of a contributor than a question asker. Yeah, and but, you're getting there more and more. But I, it's it's a cognitive dissonance. I still think my value is in the question asker, not the contributor. Or maybe in the long run, it's being able to do both gears. And I have in to which look. case I need to find the balance more because I'm on the wrong side of where I should be at this point. I think or want to be. Want to be is maybe a good Yeah, whereas, again, over time, I probably need to move from being more the answerer to also asking questions. Mm -hmm. So there's a natural adaptation in it either way. This is very metaphysical here. Sorry, fellas. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. Feel free to jump in with anything that either adds or non sequiturs. Mm. Mm. We're all inquirers here, I think. I think that's a good descriptor of all of us. This is a far better definition of inquiring minds Mm. than the first year subject, (laughs) which should be called shredded consciousness. Shredded consciousness. (laughs) I was was fortunate enough to just avoid that. I think I went through one, two years before that came in. Ah. (laughs) And I keep having to deprogram the consequences. What you've done, Inquiring Minds, well, let's teach you to inquire and to have a mind again. Did you do Inquiring Minds? Did you enjoy it? No, I think I actually, because I'd done a degree before I got credit and I got to skip it. You got to Uh, 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 recognition of prior learning. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the the benefit of uh, absolutely stuffing up your first degree. Now, uh, so what is Inquiring Minds and why is it so bad? Inquiring Minds is an attempt. Or are we going to get too into trouble? No. Come on, I can't be in any more trouble than I normally am. (laughs) (laughs) Inquiring Minds is a first-year subject to take year 12s who've learnt to do what the system demands to get the mark they need to get to uni Mm. and try and get them to re-engage with thinking for the joy of thinking Mm -mm. and exploring just to grow. The problem is the content is actually really good but it's still in a system that's going to give someone the highest mark and someone the lowest mark. Mm. So it doesn't matter what people try and do to improve the subject. In an ideal world, inquiring minds would be one of those things that you have to pass it to get your degree. Right. 
but you don't get a mark for it. Yeah, formative, not summative, yes, right? Yes, precisely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It should be a formative thing. You should have to do it. You should nominally have to get over 50% to be said you did it, but that mark shouldn't count to your degree. In some respect, almost I reckon half of your first year at uni should, should be, be like that. that. Precisely. Mm-hmm. But the problem is by allowing it to be summative, it doesn't matter what the positive rhetoric is at the end of the day the kid who's going to do well at law wants to get 90 and mm. is going to knife the people in their group that can't function. Bloody lawyers. So you've got to think openly and well. Uh, and, and win. And, and But as long as you win. Yeah. Right, okay. So mm. that's the problem with it. It yeah. itself as a course so, is awesome. But yeah. because first years have had to go through it and gone, I'm being told to be open and take risks, but there's still a mark involved. Uh. When I get them in complex problem solving in second year, they're going, oh, we've been lied to last year that you are going to give us free thought, but I still need a mark. So when I say it again to them in second year, in complex problem solving, I'm already hitting the wall where they're sceptical that I really mean I want them to think freely and to grow. Mm. Because once again, it's summative. Mm. And this is the problem of university not recognising that some things should only be formative and should be you have to do it to get your degree but there shouldn't be a mark. So if, if we're talking really blue sky thinking and we're talking, uh, you know, infinite amount of resources, could you envision some kind of institution which was only that type of development? It doesn't need to be all that way. <laughs> mm. It just needs to be, I think you need a few core courses. Everyone should do a critical thinking course or a complex problem solving course. Mm. Everyone should do an ethics course. Everyone should do a course on how to be a citizen in a modern democracy. Mm, mm, And those things should all be formative. mm. You should do them, have to pass them, but after that, the only thing that goes on your transcript is you can graduate. Right. And that everything to do with your profession or your degree from that point onwards matters, but you make a clear distinction between the formative and the summative because if we get the formative right, the summative will take care of itself. Right. Adelaide Uni? If you want to pay me a lot of money, I can fix this shit for you and I have these three gentlemen to help me and at no point will there be a 12-gauge involved in the process. You know, I'll lead the excursion up the Swiss mountains <laughs> and everyone can uh, that's decide formative. what they like of it. Why don't we start our own university on top of the mountains? Uh, <laughs> look, when Epictetus was thrown out of Rome, he went to some horrible little island he was exiled to and all his students followed. So we ended up with an amazing Stoic Academy on some shitty little island. <laughs> the perfect place for a Stoic Academy. Oh, <laughs> just looking at the Mediterranean going, yeah. <laughs> Mediterranean and deep thought. <laughs> deep sea, deep thought. Mm. Mm. Fish. Deep, deep ale. Deep ale. <laughs> deep wild boy. Yeah. It did make me wonder about uh, starting university and how people can decide whether or not the university learning environment is most suited to their learning, learning environment. What is this yeah, thing of which Brad speaks? <laughs> Just because I remember when I went through first year, I did mechanical engineering with the idea that I'd focus on aerospace engineering, later specialise in aeronautical engineer and work for Boeing designing airplanes. That's what I thought when I finished that's high school. A, that's an awesome dream, that dude. Been, that would have been pretty rad. <laughs> now you're only climbing mountains like a schmuck. Going, <laughs> what are you doing? Are Enjoying your life. Herding, herding goats and yeah. <laughs> More importantly, alpacas. <laughs> He's well, going to herd alpacas on a... 
Peruvian mountain and protect them from jaguars. Only considering the most complex political global problems that face us. This is why he's going to the Peruvian mountain. He's going, fuck all that. I'm going to hide in the mountain, protect my alpacas, (laughs) weapon up against jaguars and poachers. Yeah, um, I think I'm probably in a spot where I'm more enjoying things than I was at the time. And I just wonder... I do wonder if it was the environment in which I went into university that didn't help me at the time to achieve that degree and do that role. But at the same time, um, I find very technical areas, there's a there's a use for them and there's the area outside of that is very creative that will use the technicalities to achieve, say, a business goal, for example. And I'm finding more and more that long-term strategic stuff is very fascinating. I'm very enjoy diving into that and talking about how can we use technical things to get us from place A to place B. Mm. Whereas in the technical mindset, it's not about getting A to B. It's about doing what you're told. Doing, solving the puzzle Solving today. the puzzle. As yeah. much as I love solving puzzles, mm. um, I love knowing where that puzzle is mm. getting us. Mm. What's that puzzle going to do for us later? Exactly. And that's mm. what I love about politics. Is <laughs> yeah, mm. right. If you wanted to solve puzzles for no reason, you could go and play a video game. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, Or I can go and do uh, differential equations yeah. <laughs> in my spare time. <laughs> you see your thumb in a blender. It's <laughs> <laughs> a puzzle. We talk about solving political problems. This is, this is actually something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. I think it's probably something that, that most of us can agree upon. But when I think about solving political problems in, let's say, a Western democracy, I think of moving the majority. That is to say, enough of people of all political orientations that they would be able to swing a vote on based upon political certain political issues. That's the ideal. Well, yeah. I mean, well, I thought. I, I thought that. I thought yeah, but that's, that's the ideal. Let, let's establish the ideal, which is we bring enough people that the majority are on the page so there is a continuity of belief and experience. Right. Yep. But that doesn't seem to be really the the goal of any major political players, at least anywhere I can see in the Western world. It seems to more be this attitude of uh, solidifying your own partisan support by uh, playing to in-groups at the expense of out-groups. And I'm seeing everybody doing this. And, uh, yeah, no, that's... that's uh, Okay, my hypothesis on that is in a simpler world, and there's never been a simpler world, Mm. but we'd like to believe it. But when you're not as aware of the complexity and you think you can achieve more, why not achieve more and be powerful? We're in a world where achieving more is difficult, so why not just be powerful? So I think the cynical consequence of overt and perhaps overwhelming complexity is that we now are at risk of doubling down on controlling things rather than improving things. Could, uh, could we say that oh, this... Oh, sorry, sorry. To, sorry to interrupt. Could we say that this complexity was due to... Because when I think of this political complexity, I think of the the amount of information that's available to a particular person. We were also talking earlier about how somebody might not notice a fantastic, mind-blowing Vietnamese restaurant that's that's a couple of blocks away because they're so bombarded with other information. Mm. Do, do you think that, that, that the similarity there is actually is legitimate and that it's, yeah. a, it's an information? Yeah, in, we just hit thing? overload. Right. When we hit overload, we just power down. 
Right. We try and cope from the wave. Mm. Sorry, Tim, both of us have cut you off. Yeah, no, sorry, Tim. Uh, no, uh, it's the beers. Uh, 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 <laughs> it's the delicious beers. <laughs> delicious. Mm. Alternate, alternate theory, and this is coming from a media guy, is that uh, the politicians have a ridiculous amount of media training insofar as that what they are saying is going to be boiled down into some kind of summary by someone else that explains exactly what the politicians have said. And so you're actually getting a third hand, fourth hand, and whatever you know, how 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 many times this information has been um, interpreted? Uh, so we're getting know, the meaningless quintessence. Absolutely. So I don't think that it, it is the responsibility of politicians anymore to change people's opinions mm. and to spread ideas. It is about catering to certain existing ideas, and those ideas are being changed by other kinds of more entertaining media, more distracting. Yeah, media that are getting the category. attention, distracting media. Yeah, that's so a very important category. It's it's I, I I would see it through the lens of people are changing their minds based on other people, and then the politicians are having to cater to those ideas that already exist, right? Yeah. Partisan ideas. Mm. Mm. Damn. Yep. Okay. Um, 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 but perhaps both would be a more sen- answer, a more sensible answer. I'm unsure. But so maybe we need a second tag for our podcasts. <laughs> we are not distracting media. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, this is that's a this is a cooked up theory after yeah, what has good, been six standard drinks and yeah. an hour. So, <laughs> but, but it's a good theory because this idea is distracting. This idea of distracting media mm. is an interesting idea. Mm. Well, I hope we're not that. I really do. Like in some respect, I, you know, I want people to laugh and have fun on this show. But oh, at the no. same time, it's like. But I mean, but, but it, distracting in the sense that it's non-mainstream media. Yeah. You know, some people have been saying recently, they're saying, oh, that Joe Rogan, he's just Oprah for white dudes. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? Do we not deserve an Oprah? Oprah's fantastic. She's a beacon of. of, of don't like be- Oprah. Don't like Joe. I'm comfortable either way. <laughs> 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 beacon of wonder. A beacon of wonder? It's not like a beaker of bacon. I why don't you like Joe? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so I'm so Look, bossy. I love chunks of Joe, right. but he does so many episodes so fast. Mm. My thing with Joe Rogan is I can hear how well his researchers have primed him for the first question. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing I enjoy most when we have guests is listening to them and responding. To them, I would and giving argue, up my questions for whatever they say next. I think mm. he does that. I do not. Um, I don't think he gives up his questions. I think. Well, I don't think he does that. But I think he knows that he's he knows neither he an authority an nor smart I, enough I, to say exactly. Yeah, I think Joe okay, Rogan's. I think Joe yeah. Rogan's um, a weakness is also his strength. The ability the, to his, chat to anyone. How yeah. how, yeah. how yeah. he he's smart enough to know how far out of his depth he is with most of these people, <laughs> yeah. and so at his best. He's asking these at, at his best when he's pretending that he doesn't know more than he does. And not to say that I know any more than Joe Rogan, because I should probably don't even. But like, uh, but um, um, Peter just hit the lamington. Wall. I just hit the, <laughs> the double, double lamington with drips of chocolate and 280 kilos worth of raspberry. <laughs> wow. No, but, when, but it kind of it allows the audience to be a beginner with along with Joe. And yeah. so at his best, I think he kind of, he says the questions that you're thinking, well, you know, you'd be listening to somebody talk about astrophysics and you're like, I don't know what that is. And Joe is like, I don't know what that is. And you're like, thank you, Joe. <laughs> thank goodness that you're not just kind of flowing with it. Mm. See, maybe my problem then is my arrogance. Oh, I don't think that's necessarily true. Yeah, but, but I'm going to go, 
either I know or I don't know I'm going to ask you, but either way I'm going to keep pushing. It depends on what platform you're on. It depends on what platform you're on, David, because I think you do that on Strategicon, but I'm not sure you do it here. No, because on Strategicon it's like, I feel the need to hurt people because this is the future of the species. Fucking switch on world. Well, so Joe Rogan doesn't always have to do that. I haven't listened to Strategicon, but now I really want to. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes, sometimes I'm just like, okay, we're talking about the future of countries. World, get your thumb out your ass and get organised. Speaking of, okay, here's a recommendation for listeners. The uh, I'm not sure what number it is now. Episode 60-something of Strategicon where we talk about uh, American power in Asia. Oh, shit. Jerry Martinez, mm. who was an awesome dude. A retired General Jerry Martinez. Uh, Former head of US forces in Japan. By far and oh, away, wow. our most popular episode uh, in the last, in this year, um, yep, this has year. been incredible success, incredibly successful and is incredibly informative. Would recommend to our listeners. Probably crosses that boundary of being informative um, to listeners of Blind Insights, I'm sure would find it interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, of relevance to talking about strategic on the episode 60 something with Dr. Delia Lin about <laughs> Hong Kong. Kong. Yes. Particularly relevant to current events. Mm. Well, and, you know, uh, so later this week, an episode, um, I might even post it tonight. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> Depends if you want to edit while drunk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> drunk <laughs> edit. Well, no, no, I edited it. Um, there's an episode of Blind Insights coming out uh, with Patch Sandu, Sandu, where we talk about Gamergate and we talk about Ooh. white supremacy radicalization. Um, and later on, we'll talk about the kind of Antifa left yep. radicalization, which I fail to articulate in such a way because instead of saying leftist, I say feminist, and that just got me in a whole heap of crap. Well, at uh, least you didn't say Flemish. Yeah. <laughs> or Flemist. Fleminist. <laughs> Leftitist. Um, well, I was thinking actually like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking phlegm. Yeah, look. Uh, yeah, uh, radicalization, it's interesting. So uh, there's some there's some really interesting political things coming out from um, us at the Ozcast Network here. And uh, I think we'll close up by giving our final thoughts on the beer, gentlemen. Yay! Hey. Good beer. What I can say is. Come. To the dark side. <laughs> oh, we've done you. And you went to a village, it sounds like it should be on Mount Doom. So you're more serious than the rest of us. And Peter can paint the painting of Mount Doom with gold. Oh, I'll paint it. My precious. <laughs> Look, you know, um, proudly independent since 2012, I think for seven years in the business, they're doing an incredibly good job on uh, particularly this beer. We may even try some others. They've got plenty of other limited edition ones, so... They're definitely passionate. Thank you very much uh, to Deeds for for making the beer that we then bought. <laughs> and uh, thank you both to, uh, unless you have anything to say there, Peter. Oh, uh, no, no. Okay. Uh, other than to uh, definitely try and find some Dark Deeds and okay. definitely. Uh, dark Deeds done dirt cheap. Dirty deeds. <laughs> I think that should be their next one, and uh, and to tune in, tune in next time. I suppose. Yeah. Thank you very much, Peter, for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, where can they reach you again on Instagram? Oh, that's right. I've plugged it enough times. People. One more. Uh, one more. P a c t dot artwork uh, on Instagram. You can find me. Excellent. And thank you very much to Bradley Wall. Thank you very much for having me here again in Ozcast Network <laughs> on the. Uh, the great podcast um, network that you have going currently, <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice of you to say, thank you. And anything that you need to plug? No, I'd say definitely um, check out 
the the Deeds Brewing beers. Okay. Uh, absolutely, that was uh, that was a great dessert beer. You know, I've tried a few dessert beers in my time, and that that was the best. It's up there, definitely. Yeah. I've, Better than the milkshake yeah. ones from summer. <laughs> they were good, but by the fourth one, you're like, Ugh. yeah. This one is very very palatable. Very not. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> very nice. Thank you, David, for joining us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anything you need to add? Only hustle la vista audience. Thank you very much, audience, for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Blind Drunk. Oscar.